You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the second episode of the Grizzden Pod. I'm one of your hosts, Will Walker, along with our other co-hosts, Brantley Davidson and Ty Smith. We got a lot of love from our first episode, so thank y'all for that. Uh, make sure you follow us at Grizzden on Twitter. Uh, just right off the top, just want to give you guys something to get excited about. We're going to try and do this podcast as often as possible. We're going to shoot for weekly Um most likely that'll turn into uh, bi-weekly, which is fine. Uh, but we have some some ideas of some great guests we're gonna have on. We have um, we have some some new topics as well that we're gonna get into in this episode and future episodes. So a lot of excitement here. Um, and what we'll what we'll do just right off the top is, uh, guys, Christmas Christmas happened between now and our last episode. Did y'all get any Christmas swag? Some Grizz swag for Christmas, that is. Yeah, I um, actually am rocking currently a uh, John Morant Memphis black throwback shirt. Uh, it's uh, it's legit in the sense of what it looks like. Uh, it's not legit in the fact that it came from China, uh, from a wholesaler. So I may get arrested for announcing this to the public. But safe, it's it's pretty swaggy. I can't wait to rock it all the time. It looks perfect. We might have to find you a Bluff City Clawyer. Yeah. That, that, you know, <laughs> <all> Yikes. <laughs> Man, did not plan that uh, pun. That was not. impressive. Ty, what'd you get? So I got a, uh, I asked for a t-shirt um, from Barn and Bridge, which is a really cool brand. We saw, I went to a preseason game this year and saw a guy wearing a t-shirt that said Point God on it with like a picture of Ja, and it was incredible. I asked for it, but my wife was like, maybe we could find you a better <laughs> shirt than that. She didn't like it. Uh, so I got a shirt from Barn and Bridge. It's basically looks like a Golden State logo, to be honest. It says Bluff City with a guy like doing a layup over the pyramid. Um, 
But I like it. It's great. Fits great. It's comfortable. It's soft. Man, I love it. We'll post like link in bio later, maybe. Yeah, yeah, no t-shirt. doubt. Sure. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, bridge. Doing good stuff. Yeah, I was uh, fortunate enough to also get uh, a cool John Morant uh, shirt from from China, <laughs> along with Brantley. But also, I got uh, one of those the white um, the th- the throwback white dry fit that has the the old Grizzlies logo that's on midcourt in their throwback. Yeah. Uh, just the t shirt. Just the the t shirt. Yeah. Um, just something classic. Um, so that was that was a lot of fun. So the throwback yeah. Grizz stuff is hot right it's now. Awful. It's hot. Yeah, I mean, I I'm all over it. It's it. so it's fire. Sexy. The teal, like on the score, so when they're showing the score, like on Fox Sport, it's like the brightest teal you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. And it's fantastic. It. It's awesome. Well, since we last spoke, the Grizzlies have had eight games. They have gone four and four. Um, we've had some high highs and some low lows in this span. Um, and I'll go through real quick um, the wins and losses. We beat the Heat. We lost to the Thunder, lost to the Cavs, beat the Kings, lost to the Spurs, beat the Thunder, lost to the Nuggets, and just last night we beat the Hornets. We're recording this on December 30th. Um, guys, what were our takeaways from uh, from these games? Um, I'll just start really quickly. Um, I went <clears throat> to the Heat game. I actually got some tickets um, for my birthday and sat center court with my wife. Um which was an awesome game. Uh, Jimmy Butler put up like the quietest 24 points that I've ever seen. I feel like it, it looked like he was even having a bad game. Got to see Mr. Tyler Harrow, which was uh, just amazing watching him in person. But one thing that I noticed um, that day, and I don't think we've had a chance to talk about this, and I don't know if it necessarily started in this game, but I know that the Thunder then um, emulated it as well as um, the Nuggets significantly, is that the Heat in the second half threw a zone at – um, our team Charlie and, did it last night too. and yeah. we struggled significantly at it. So if you remember, I think in that heat game, we were up, you know, like 18 points, uh, maybe like some, at some point in the third quarter. And so I think that that's just one thing maybe that um, I've noticed that I, I think the team's going to have to figure out how to work through. Yeah. What about you, Ty? Um, so yeah, four and four in the last uh, eight games. I guess since we spoke, which is pretty good. Um, beat some teams we should have beat. Lost to some teams that we – the Cleveland loss hurt. The OKC loss hurt, too, because we were up big. Yep. Um, the Spurs game, it, I've never seen an offense do what they did. It was insane. Uh, Denver's just so much better than we are. Um, and the Charlotte game was fun, too. Last night was fun. Um, yeah, we had guys look good. The bench looked good. Speaking of, that's kind of my big thing. Um Jonas has looked a lot better as a starter. Um, he's scoring a lot better. His scoring efficiency is, is up big time, especially out of the post. He's hitting threes. Um, he's still not shooting a ton, but he's hitting the ones he's shooting. Um, Tyus has looked so much better, kind of running the second unit. Um, yeah, he's been playing great. Um, let's see. I have some fun stats on him if I can find it. Yeah, so Tyus's last 10 games. So I've kind of been doing the stats recently in the last 10 games. Because um, I feel like we're kind of rounding in the form. Like, we've been decently consistent outside of the Spurs game. Um, yeah, Tyus's last 10, these are per 36 numbers. He's 13-9 and nine on 64% from three, um, which probably isn't sustainable. But at least it's like a, a flash of hope. Because he's never been like a <clears throat> great three-point shooter. And to start the season, it was awful. Like, he couldn't hit anything. 
um, and our bench. Like we're coming in because our starters honestly aren't like getting leads very much. If anything, they're like kind of holding par throughout the first quarter. Um, and I really like when Tyus and it seems like Melton are coming in together. And then the last starter to leave is pretty much always Jaron. He pretty much plays the entire first quarter. So that is getting run with Tyus, some form of Tyus, Melton, BC, and Jaron. Um, and I feel like that second unit, I don't know. It's just I think it looks really it looks really good. And I feel like they've done really well. Yeah, one of the one of the main takeaways for me was about that second unit as well, and it's the absence of Goodrich. Um, yeah. He is, it seems for now, officially out of the rotation, um, and has been replaced by Grayson Allen and DeAnthony Melton, the combo of of those two, uh, which has which has worked out pretty great so far, uh, especially last night. Grayson, when Charlotte went to that zone, uh, I don't necessarily have the numbers right in front of me to back it up, but it felt like Grayson was the only threat out there For sure. who could shoot them out of that zone, yep. um, whether it was because guys weren't hitting shots or he was the most pure shooter uh, we had out there. Um, I thought that that's that's pretty interesting to me and, and might be indicative of, of where, we're, where we're trying to go. Um, again, I'm, I'm still, I'm still, I don't know if these are Grizz goggles like we've talked about last time, but I still have Guterich, uh, Guterich love, but he, I mean, it's plain and simple. He just hasn't earned, uh, the minutes that he initially was getting. Um, and it seems as though Grayson and Melton are. Yeah. The ship has sailed on Guterich. <laughs> Let's just face it. It is. Come sailed. on, man. No way. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm on the other side of the fence on the, on the, on the, the actual boat sailing away. Uh, just, I feel like Grayson's done well. So these are the last 10 games for Grayson again, per 36, cause he's not getting a ton of minutes, but he's shooting 46% from three on 10 attempts. Mm. I know that's per 36. So it's obviously elevated than a per game, but still that's, that's pretty solid. And if we're looking for kind of an outside threat to mesh, because if you look at Guterich coming in, like what was his – So he was terrible. He was a yeah. shooter, right? Right. He shot really well in Europe. Um, and we kind of needed that to translate because we knew like defense wasn't necessarily going to translate if he had defense at all. And Grayson not only like is a decent threat, but just by making him a threat, like he can kind of get to the hoop a little bit more sneaky than you think he can. Um, he can get people in the air. He's pretty clever like in the lane. Um, great free throw shooter. Um, yeah, he took yeah, our tech, high technical uh, yeah. last game as well. He seems to yep. be just a trusted guy. Like he's getting a lot more confidence too. Yeah. I would agree on the confidence thing. I think that's one of the, just what stood out to me. I, I think I'd sort of forgotten how many games he's missed in the season. He's basically missed half of our games. So mm-hmm. we've played, um, you know, 34 um, I think thus far, and he's only actually played in 18 of them. Um, so yeah, almost just right at 50% of our games. So really, um, the past seven games, he's really started to hit a rhythm. It looks like starting within the Cleveland, Cleveland game. Um, and you know, he had a 13 point game against that loss in Sacramento. Um, and I don't know. I just think that I, I'm with you on the Guterich, I guess, prioritization, if you will, like I would not put, Melton um, or um, Allen behind him right now in a rotation. For sure not. Um, so I, I do think that uh, there's some long-term play with Guterich, but right now just the way Grayson's playing and the way Melton is, I think what seems to be lifting the whole of the eight, every lineup he plays in, it's sort of just one of those eye test things. It's like it's 
it's weird to see him on the floor as a two guard, knowing that he's really only like six three, but yeah. he really can guard anyone because of his length. The and, longest human ever. And if you haven't listened to the Tony Allen love on him yeah. on Verno's podcast, is like you know the grandfather when he gives out love on people, you sort of have to kind of I, I, like follow him a little bit, and he yep. he loves him, and I'm that that actually you know registered with me a good bit. I think last week or two weeks ago, whenever that happened. Yeah, Mel's just a Swiss Army knife. Like, I feel like he's one of those guys that can play uh, one through three on offense and maybe even one through four on defense if, they have a, uh, if they're playing small with the other team. Um, I felt like he had a bunch of switches from last night from Terry Rozier to Devontae Graham. He was even on Marvin Williams at one point. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you want to talk about his plus-minus, Ty? You had oh, pulled up those so numbers. Good. So good. All right, so his last ten games, this is just a per game. I could do the per 36 and just blow everybody's mind. But I'm going to keep it at a per game here. Uh, so, Melton is a plus six, which is by far the highest on the team in the last 10 games. But I want to throw out some per 36 numbers. Um, so, per 36, he's a plus 12, which is awesome. Um, okay, so it's per 36 stats. Again, this is the last 10 games. He's averaging 15, 8, and 7, which I feel like is great. Yeah. He's on court. He leads our team in effective field goal percentage at 54.8 which is awesome. And the sad thing is he's third least in minutes. Hmm. I don't get it. He's still under 20 minutes a game, even in the last 10. I know he's building and building and building, which is good. So who would you like to see him take minutes from? I mean, it's Dylan, obviously, right? No, I don't think so. Uh, I just want him to see the first, I mean, either the first guy off the bench or the second guy off the bench every game. I want to see him play in the first quarter. You're basically saying when BC comes off the bench, you want Melton right beside and him. And honestly, Tyus right next to him, too. I love when those three get subbed in all at once. I guess they're taking out. Usually it's Dylan or Jay. Jay usually stays with Jaron, though. So the lineup would look like Tyus, Melton, Jay, BC, and Jaron. Um, I just bad. really like that lineup. I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, one of the most interesting things to me, too, is the, the investment – or the lack thereof, we have in the three guys we've been talking about, Melton, Guterich, and Grayson. Uh, we're paying them a total of $6.4 million. Yeah. So what's exci- it's exciting, and it's also – I just feel like it's a low-risk um, oh, experiment right now that we're having. Um, I feel like Jenkins is just rotating between those guys, just find, trying to out every single combination he can um, and seeing what fits. And so I'll be interested. That's one of the things I'm going to be watching for. I mentioned it on our last podcast as well in our hammer nail coffin conclusion, uh, which is I'm just going to be watching for Grayson and, and Guterich and how those minutes shake up. Um, and so far it's, it's worked out well um, with having Grayson and Melton and Melton seems like the guy who's going to be the most consistent. When you think about the finances, <clears throat> I think that's one thing that will come up um, on the podcast a good bit today, just because, that's one of the things I spent time on was just trying to really look through what is kind of at least in, in our view with a, a, a high level look, what, what do the salaries sort of look like um, over the next five years? And I think that sort of potentially has a huge impact and should influence what we do this off season, obviously. And, and um, you know, think about um, this, this off season, uh, Melton is a guy that is, you know, he's done this year. Yep. So, I think um, if you really like him as kind of like this combo one slash two guard option, you have to really know uh, for certain 
I mean, within the next 40 days, if you For like sure. him enough or less than that, because if not, he's potentially a good trade he, chip he's a great um, to, to throw in to get another first round pick or something. If you're still in, in a, an asset accumulation mode, um, I personally, I, I think that we've put, we've maybe found a good young guard that should, we should just sort of extend. Um, but he's played himself into this really interesting contention, per, you know, scenario where he could, you know, uh, really be a huge asset to some type of player or team moving forward. Couldn't agree more. So, I kind of were talking to y'all before the pod about a player comp that I really like with Melton. Some of some of you may not enjoy this because recency bias is yeah not favorable. But <laughs> I'm very interested now. So the player comp I have is 2015-2016 Avery Bradley with the Celtics. Mm. Okay, so starting two guard, he didn't like create his offense a ton. He could hit an open shot. Played hellacious perimeter defense, and who was his starting backcourt mate in Boston? It was Isaiah, right? That dude couldn't guard. I know we mentioned last time he yeah. couldn't guard me. He literally couldn't guard any of us. So he had a huge responsibility on himself to guard basically the best perimeter player, which in today's league is very, very important. Um, I don't want to knock Jaws' defense right now because he's still really young, and he's actually looked better at like getting over screens and kind of figuring things out on the fly. And we're not asking him to, like, lock up right mm-hmm. now anyway. He's, he's really young. But with that said, I don't know if Jaws, like, defense is a huge – on a great, like, projection. Maybe it is. But I know Melton's is for sure. Um, I pulled up some stats. So this is the 2015 AB, Avery Bradley stats. He's averaging 15 a game, 36% from three, which roughly Melton's per 36 numbers is that right now. Mm-hmm. So, I know Melton's only 21. He's still really young. Um, but if we could sign him, extend him this summer, which I definitely think we could get him for, like, the mid-level. You know, we get a mid-level every year. Um, I don't know what we're going to do with Dylan. If Dylan's going to want more than the mid-level, I don't know what that is. I guess that'll be, like, 8 to $9 million. Tyus is on it right now. Um, maybe, he, maybe we could get Melton for less because um, he is a second-round pick. And we basically got him for nothing. Kyle Corbin and Javon Carter is pretty yeah. much it. I think that's a great player comp. And if that's what he turns out to be, that's the kind of guy that, as a Grizzlies fan, I, w- I used to covet A.B. Bradley yeah, like know, with all of my being. So that even more so makes me just say, like, let's not trade him and keep and hold on to him. I love that comp. So, again, if, if that's what he turns out to be, so let's say four or five years from now, he's our starting two, and he's putting up Avery Bradley-type numbers, playing that type role, would you take it? Like, would you have that as an accepting, like, that's our starting two guard, even in a starter role, do you think? To mm. me, it's got to be – you. Ha- he has to show an improvement in his shooting, which is not bad, again, but right. as a starting two guard, that volume is just going to increase. Sure. Sure. And so if the efficiency can stay on par with the volume, then yes, absolutely. But right now, as we mentioned, he's not necessarily getting the run for us to right. see whether or not he's going to be able to sustain the efficiency with the volume. Yeah. Well, that all depends on who you – what you spend your cap on and you go get yes. as a three. Couldn't agree more. Exactly. So if he's like a – he could be a, a baller role player type two if you don't need him to be – Yes. Uh, you know, if you only need him to be a fifth scoring option but maybe a primary defending. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's going to be the, the issue I think right now is – and I think it's a, it's, a, it's a widely accepted fact that we – right now it seems we have a bunch of like sixth and seventh guy scoring options at the two. Yeah. And it's kind of like which one we're, – we're all – 
looking to see is somebody on our roster going to take the next step into that role? Yeah, I don't think we have that guy yet. Um, and that's okay. And who, who says it has to be a two? You know, but again, yeah, yeah I don't think that guy. I, we talked about the on the Bluff City call, the whole thing with Dylan. Is he like a long term starter at the two and all that kind of stuff? I don't think we have that guy yet. And I think later on, maybe either this pod or another pod, we'll kind of talk about if Jaron ideally is your third best guy on a championship team, Ja potentially your one or two. Like, obviously, that other one or two, let's say Ja's the one guy. Like, our two guys not on our roster right now. And that's completely okay. He didn't have to be. Two but or three, yeah. I would say. You know, Jaron can go between. Ja can go between one and two. Jaron can go between two sure. and three right there. But, yeah, we I agree with you 100% that we're, we still need that third guy. So, one more storyline that I want to just throw out there, maybe as a grenade and duck. Um, are we sort of seeing a little bit of a rookie slump, like, for Ja right now? I think – it definitely seems like it from the eye test. I don't know whether you have numbers on this or not, but he, to me, it just feels as though um, all of the – I mean, he still has the moves. He's still incredibly fun to watch. I don't, I don't feel like he's slowing down or, like, getting very obviously tired. But to me, the, the, the thing to watch out for is, is are, his, are his moves leading to baskets – or is he getting to the rim and missing? It's, it's all about the finishing for me. And I feel like he has not finished as well in the past 10 or 12 games as he did when we, we were just, just in awe of what yeah. he was doing on the court. Yeah, I feel like he's not – I don't know. I feel like he's not as like active as he used to be, especially yeah. on offense. And I think the zone has hurt him for sure. If it's hurt anybody, I feel like it's him. 100%. Because he's definitely been a little bit more hesitant from three. Um, last night he got one on the – wing wide open and then kicked it to of all people Kyle Anderson in the corner and Kyle yeah. Anderson was like what am I supposed to do here right <laughs> um, so yeah his last 10 games again go at 10 games he's still not at 30 minutes a night 29.8 we'll give him 30 um, three-point percentage definitely dipped to 33 percent at two a game so he was taking about two a game pretty much the first most of the season as well um, so it hasn't really dipped or gone up in attempts but the percentage has dropped because he was at 50 percent for a solid 10 or 12 games there. So I think that's dropped a little bit, maybe getting a little bit more hesitant. And with the way people are guarding him, like people are making him work up the court. Like if you think of the Thunder games, like Schroeder was basically full courting him right. just to make him work getting up the floor. People, are, I think, when he's on defense, not necessarily picking him out like they would do like in a playoff series, but people are like running him off screens or kind of beating him up a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it may be catching up with him. Yeah, for sure. I think he's maybe hitting a – a slight rookie wall, but if this is all it is, then that's good. I uh, know. So it's a, it's sort of like a maybe a win-win type discussion. If it really is a slump, he, um, you know, th I will take this type of slump um, as from a star player all the time. But the three the three stats that I sort of look at with Ja is you know his points, assists, and steals, and just sort of what has he been doing in those three big categories on just like the kind of foundational things. Um, and the thing that's really dropped off since we last spoke were his steals. So, like, against Golden State way back in November, he had um, – let me make sure I get this right. He had five steals. Next game two, next game four. Then he went one, one, three. Since um, his game against Washington where he had three steals – um, so this was December 16th. So since we sort of were looking back, he's had one steal over eight games. Yeah. That to me is some level of maybe an indicator of being tired yes. um, and a little bit of a rookie slump. 
the other thing that I just will point out is that, and this is why I love John. I'm rocking a jersey right now, and it's why I will, you know, love rocking jerseys for him for a long, you know, time to come. Hopefully, is that he's a big game hunter, so he shows up for. He's kind of got that Zebo in him. He shows up for the the star players, the big games. You know, we'll, we'll always remember, um, you know, Conley's return and how he showed up in that game and flexed. Um, I do think that that's one thing, and and the way that he, that sort of manifests itself is in the fourth quarter with him. And so when I'm looking and sort of kind of just analyzing how's he performing in the fourth quarter, um, the month of December, his fourth quarter point totals are all those to- totals that I'm talking about assists points and steals are you know around 20 to 30 percent below his season average which to me just means he sort of hit a little bit of a wall he's still performing at a rookie of the year level which is phenomenal but he certainly had um, whether it's the zone or other things maybe you know teams starting to understand how to key on him um, he's had a little bit of a of a decline that I'm hoping to see him pick back up over the next you know couple months so what you're telling me is that Adam Silver needs to have an executive order to switch all Pelicans national TV games to whatever whoever the Grizzlies were playing, and that slump is going to be gone. 100%, yeah. yeah. Most likely, 100%. I yeah, think most of truth. America would thank him. <laughs> yes, that. they would. Yeah. They definitely would. <laughs> well, this has been your status report. We are going to pause a few seconds for our sponsor and get to our segments. This episode of the Grizz Den Pod is sponsored by Katie Davidson Homes with Coldwell Banker. Katie is known for her expertise in home aesthetics and getting Memphis homes sold quickly for top dollar, even after other agents have previously attempted and failed. Did you know that on average, Memphis home values have increased by close to 5% just in the previous year? If you're looking to take advantage of the current market trends by buying or selling, give Katie a call at 901-604-4926. She knows the market and loves working with clients through the buying and selling process to reach their real estate goals. One client had this to say about working with her. This is the second opportunity I had to use Katie's expertise and professionalism. I would recommend Katie to anyone wishing to buy or sell real estate. Right from the start, Katie guides you through the process, decision points, and final negotiations. Her talent for staging and updates helped sell my property in just two days. Two days, ladies and gentlemen. Again, give Katie Davidson with Coldwell Banker a call at 901-604-4926 for all of your Memphis real estate needs. All right, welcome back. We're going to kick off the segments portion of our pod with Bluff City Claw. Uh, Ty is going to be our moderator for this one, and Brantley's got a hot take he's going to spit. All right, Brantley. What is the take? So we'll just hit... Right on it first. The Grizzlies currently have four untradeable players. I think three are obvious, but who is the fourth? And uh, before I maybe get to the fourth, let me just at least present a little bit of data for why, you know, Jaron, John, BC are our three untradeable players. Um, So on Jaron, as I'm starting to look and really kind of assess his rookie year to second year campaign and compare maybe what he's doing with historical production, if you look at um, some key stats for him that make him unique, his blocks, so his defensive ability, 
um, his points per game scoring and his ability to step out and hit threes um, at a highly efficient rate. So if you right now for the season, he's averaging 1.3 blocks per game, 17 and a half points per game, um, 2.6 three pointers made per game at a 40% average. So players that have done this, let me ask you this question. How many players do you think since the modern three-point era have averaged that uh, that those numbers or better in their second NBA season? How mm. just number? How just many? Number, not yeah, I won't ask you players. to say who you think they are. Since what the seventies? Yeah, I think the modern three-point era starts off in like seventy-eight or something like that. Um, I'm gonna see. There, there's probably like twenty or less. I was going to say like 12. Zero. Whoa. Okay. You say. So over the span of their career, players that have averaged those numbers, there's been one player in one season ever that's done that, and that's Danny Granger in 2008 and 2009. Throwback. Throwback. Okay. So the reason why that's the case is because the combination of – I mean, Jaron is not going to end most likely at a 40% three-point percentage at the volume that he's moving up to. I'd love for him to, but that's phenomenal, right? Um, when you remove just the blocks per game criteria and drop down and see who are the players that have done this throughout seasons, Steph has done it seven times. Clay has done it six. Peja Stoyakovich did it three times. Ray Allen did it twice. And then you've got a bunch of players that have done it once, like Bradley Beal, um, Paul George, Buddy Heald, Kyrie. So there's only 23 players that have averaged those same numbers minus the blocks. Okay, so that just gives you a picture. Now, uh, am I am I saying that Jaron is this? He is a unicorn. Sure. That he's going to be like Steph Curry, but Dikembe Mutombo at the same time. No, I'm not saying that. But it is an an interesting litmus test for what we have. Second, on John Morant, when you do a little bit of a similar comparison, I I talked about this just a second ago, but when you look at his assists, his scoring, um, his steals, and I I look at his efficient field goal percentage, just like how efficient he is at shooting the three and the two together. um, Currently, he's averaging right around six assists per game, um, 17.9 points per game, um, a 50% efficiency, and right at one steal per game. Um, how many players do you think did this in their rookie campaign? Three. So bad at this game. Yeah. But maybe I'm going to say 10 or less. One. Mm. Magic Johnson. Mm. Okay. So when you actually do the same thing and expand this to cumulative seasons who average this similarly, um, you've got around 40 players, um, LeBron, you know, Big players, so all all-star, Hall of Fame players that at, that this was kind of their trajectory. Okay, so what I'm saying is that, so you know you've got these elite um, players, or at least the trajectory of them right now is sort of saying that they're on kind of this roadmap to be significant. We've heard BC has, um, you know, kind of this efficiency category that I think has allowed us to say, like, he's going to be an awesome rotation player in the future, potentially role player type starter that we know is a long-term asset for the Grizzlies. Okay, I didn't do a similar um, assessment for him just because it's not as sexy as what John Jaron was, to be honest with you. So, because we have these players, I am making the argument 
that to invest in their long-term potential, we need to lock in and ensure that we have a veteran player on our team for the long term that can help them see what it's like to win and compete at a high level so that when we move into the 2025 season where we've locked in Jaron, Ja, and BC all on their second contracts that maybe even that vet player is still around. So if you think about even the Grizzlies' successes um, of when I've been a fan, um, you've had players like Vince Carter, um, you've had players like Tayshawn, um, Mike Miller even in his second go-around as a Grizzlies were these veteran-type players that knew how to win, had been around the block, um, and I think we're helping guys like Mark Zebo and, and Conley sort of know how to navigate what they're entering into. I think that that is, hard, is more difficult um, um, than we make it um, out to be, meaning I think that we have a player in Jay Crowder, so that's my fourth untradeable player, that is a vet player, that knows what it takes to win at a high level because he um, has done it um, with you know with it with Boston um, and uh, with Utah and I don't know I just think I don't want to see us rotating through veteran players um, over the coming years I would rather us go ahead and lock one in even though some of his um, offensive production is sort of um, down right now I think he's been a solid locker room player um, the the young guys seem to like him a lot and. I don't know. He's just got killer hair too, so I kind of just want to keep him around. He's got to be related to Serena Williams. He does. <laughs> Every time I see him, I see Serena. No other way it's possible. So and my my fourth untradeable is more about the other players, but it's more about investing in those guys. And I I don't I think that you can take a little bit of an offensive hit um, for them and for their development. That is an interesting take, for sure. And uh, I'm acting as the defense today. Um, but since since Brantley actually threw this take out, um, it's been, I've kind of looked at Jay Crowder a little bit differently, um, and it it is it is fun to see a guy like that who you know is invested uh, where he is. He's not he's not Andre Iguodala, yeah, uh, for sure. This discontent uh, who is just trying as fast as he can to get out of Memphis. He went all in. Yeah. Um, and so all, all that, what I'm about to say, that's doesn't necessarily mean that I don't like Jay Crowder. Um, I think he's been awesome and I think he could be awesome, but, um, I, I think that the, uh, the word here is untradeable. And I think that's, that's where you, I think you have to draw a line a little bit farther back than saying untradeable. And the reason I say that, um, is because number one, I think he is on a different timeline than uh, the players right now in this moment, I think he's he's okay. Um, I think in a couple years, let's say we we're on this trajectory right now, we're we're uh, we're in front of everyone's expectations, we're ahead of schedule, and maybe in a couple years we hit sort of a bump in the road where it's like, okay, now this is the time to shine. That's when I think these veteran players get a little antsy. And I think that they're they're looking at the end of their career in a few years, the end, definitely the end of their prime, and they're saying, "All right, I don't have a ring yet," which Dave Crowder doesn't. Yeah. He's saying, "That's the one thing I have left to do. I've proven I'm a good player. I've been in this league for I don't know a decade. That's what's left, and that's when the cancer starts to spread." And so I think that to me is a little bit worrisome. Uh, the second thing, his contract isn't expiring this year. Um, I think he has proven that he is the premier 3 and D guy 
that's going to be a fourth or fifth option on a team and is going to be solid. Yeah. That to me is an is a you're going to have to pay for that. And uh, as we're going to get into a little bit more of the salary cap, I get a little bit nervous at what Jake Crowder's number is going to be because I think he is going to call for similar to the seven mil per year, which he has been making for the past few years, or a little bit more um, because I think he's earned it. Ultimately, so age, uh, the potential of becoming the discontented veteran in a locker room, the contract concerns, I think the main point here against his untradeability is his replaceability. Um, You said you don't want to cycle through veterans. I think that's a good point. I do think, though, that there are veterans that you can bring in. Like Jay Crowder was a guy that wasn't necessarily even on anybody's radar, and it's sort of a surprise when we got him in a a different deal. I think there are those guys out there who we can bring in. Um, I think we have a couple more guys on our roster. We have Jonas Valanciunas, and we have Kyle Anderson. They're older than the guys that can keep uh, the locker room intact, um, and I think that they could fill the void if Jay Crowder were to get traded. Um, I looked, just did a quick research around the league, did some research and found some guys that are in a similar role as Jay Crowder and maybe a little bit younger. I didn't go the veteran route because I feel like those players, there's there's plenty of them. Um, so here's an idea for replacing necess- replacing the role of Jay Crowder. Denzel Valentine, he's 26 years old. He makes a million and a half in, in Chicago. He's not playing very much. He's a restricted free agent at the end of this year. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, 26 years old on Dallas. He is locked in at $4 million per year until 2022 when he's an unrestricted free agent. So then you have Torrey Craig. He's on the, on the older end in Denver. He's a restricted free agent after this year. He makes $2 million. Uh, Daniel House in Houston, 26 years old. He's locked in at $3.8 million until 2022. Rodney Magruder, who's on the Clippers, he's 28 Till, uh, till 2022, he's making about $5 million per year. So there's six, five or six players right there who are making less than Jay Crowder and have a very similar three-point percentage and also proven that they can be good defenders on the other end. Um, and then I guess my final point in defense of Jay Crowder not being untradeable would be we, we have on our G League roster potentially the guy that could come in. He can't, he can't do the three-point – um, he can, he doesn't have the same three point efficiency, but I could see a scenario where we uh, buy out Jay Crowder. There's not a lot of trades to happen, but we buy out Jay Crowder and bring up Josh Jackson because he's on our timeline, and we feel like we can get a veteran down the line once these guys get a little bit more mature. So that's my defense, I guess, of the take. Yeah, I just I think that <clears throat> if you look at the I don't know the 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 successful teams in the past and just the Grizzlies in general, you, you know, you take a guy like, I'm not, I'm not about to say that Jay Crowder is like Tony Allen to this team, but the intangible measurements that TA was from an energy perspective and overall guidance, kind of just that bulldog mentality. I feel like that's something that Jay brings. And I don't think that any of the guys you just listed would bring that. I don't think that, um, I don't, I don't think that you can just find that anywhere. Um, that's why I was so pumped when we got him was not just for his stats, but just, I knew that he had that kind of Pat Beverly mentality in him that I, I think is lifting up our team 
into sort of playoff contention right now, which could be an argument against him. You right. know, I'm surprised I'm giving you an argument point. No, yeah, you could yeah. say, like, maybe he's so good that he's lifting us up into a little bit of this kind of area that we don't want to be in. It's not – you can't put that just on him. Um, but I just – I would be sort of concerned that um, – we don't find someone to fill that void, and that's why I think he's untradeable. So I guess my question then would be, because tradeability to me depends on a few things. Like he can, he his contract, as we mentioned, runs out this year. Are you saying, what is a deal, I guess, that you would be comfortable signing Jay Crowder to yeah. long term? So I think when you look at the Grizzlies roster across the board, um, I sort of think you have to choose between Jay and Dylan. And um, I'd be more willing to pick Jay over Dylan for the reasons that I've mentioned. And they're sort of both equally frustrating at times on offense, to be honest with you. And so I feel like I could deal with one of them. Um, I I would give – I think I think Jay on a 7 to $8 million deal um, like a three to four year, uh, maybe give him a player option on his fourth um, year, um, a descending type contract like JV did, because we have cap space in 21, 22, and 23 before we really have to re up some of the core three, that, you know, the core G and G that we're talking about. Um, give him a player option to maybe go to a contender um, or make his um, contract a little bit more flexible that I would be more willing to kind of extend him at his current amount. I think the value that he brings is there. And I don't think that you can find that mentality just off the street at any point in time. I think we got really lucky in a, in a, a, a trade desperation move that we've won. We've won that trade hands down. Not even if Conley was performing like he was for us last year, I still think we would have won it because I think Jay has lifted up our rooks. And I think Grayson is showing some real positive light that means that he could be a good rotation player in the future too. And so I just think that there's a lot more value there than what you can just put on a per night basis. Also, Melton was a part of that trade. And Melton was a part of that trade. Kyle Corver over, which was awesome. Yeah, the descending effect of everything. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> Well, that was Bluff City Claw. It's an interesting take. Uh, it's it's gonna we're gonna throw that a poll up on the Twitter. Uh, we want to hear from you. Um, respond, respond. We want to hear your thoughts on where you're leaning, uh, when, one way or another. Um, and so we're gonna move on real quick into our Grizzlies history moment. Um, one of the things that I enjoyed looking back on in these this month of December um, were our just games from past, and one of them was a, a classic. And I want to do a very, very brief rewatchables on this one game that I think most of us will remember if we've been a Grizzlies fan for more than five or six years. It was a November 17th, 2014 game in San Antonio against the Spurs. Uh, for context, our roster, our starters were Mike Conley, Courtney Lee, Quincy Pondexter, Zach Randolph, and Mark Gasol. Vince Carter and Costa Kufis were our impact players off the bench. Uh, in San Antonio, they started uh, they started Corey Joseph, Danny Green, Matt Bonner, Kyle Anderson, and Tim Duncan. Mono Ginobili, of course, came off the bench. Boris Diaw and, and, and Marco Bellinelli also were the impact players. Uh, I guess Tony, Tony Parker must have been hurt that game. Um, but we had – this was our fourth game in six nights – it was the second night of a back-to-back. We had beat the Warriors at home the night before. 
Uh, at the end of the first quarter, the Grizzlies got out to a hot start. They were leading 34-19. to 19. Uh, At the end of the second quarter, Mono Ginobili hits this crazy three that he gets fouled on um, to cut the lead to seven at half. So it was 52-45 to 45 Grizz at half. Um, after the third quarter, the Spurs were kind of clawing back. It was 73-68 to 68 at the end of the third. And then the fourth quarter started, which was pretty crazy. Um, the Spurs tied it up at 77 with eight minutes and 53 seconds to go. Um, it had mostly been in control of the Grizzlies till that moment. It went back and forth. The lead changed uh, seven or eight times until the last minute when Danny Green hit a three to put the Spurs up by two with a minute left. Uh, a few possessions back and forth. Tim Duncan went to the line. He, misses, he missed his first free throw. He hit his second, which put the Spurs up by three. Conley comes down with seven seconds left, hits a three. Spurs take a timeout. Actually, sorry. Conley hits a three to put us up by three. I'm getting this all backwards. <laughs> it's, hard to, it's hard to read the cliff notes. You have to watch the highlights. But basically, Conley hits a three to tie it up. I was, I was right the first time. Spurs call a timeout. Danny Green comes down, hits a three with two and a half seconds left. The Grizzlies call a timeout. We're down by three. And then Mark Gasol has that famous shot where he, he gets it in. We're, we're at like the four-second mark of the inbounds play. Mark Gasol gets it two steps in front of half court, throws up a fake shot, goes around Tim Duncan, got, does his step through and banks a three to send it to overtime. In the first overtime, uh, the, Tim Duncan hit a free throw to put the Spurs up by two with 48 seconds left. Uh, Mark Gasol again gets a rebound, put back to tie it up, and Mono Ginobili misses a shot for it to go into this second overtime. Boris Diaw hit a big three with a minute left in second overtime to go up by one, 109 to 108. And then Courtney Lee hits a three with three seconds left to put Grizz up by two, 111 to 109. And then Tim Duncan, as he's done many times before, beats the buzzer with an elbow bank shot to send it to a third overtime. By then, the Grizzlies were <laughs> exhausted. They had had, this again, fourth game in six nights. Um, in the third overtime, Tim Duncan started off the, the, the overtime with a layup. And then Zach Randolph, who had been fairly quiet throughout the whole game, hit th- six straight points. And then Danny Green hit a three with 41 seconds left. And after that, we went back and forth with the Spurs and ended up winning uh, by a score of 117 to 116 in three overtimes. It was a dramatic game capped off by that that Marcus All shot. Zach Randolph had 21 points and 21 rebounds. Mike Conley had 14 points and 10 assists. And Marcus All had 26 points and nine rebounds. Just a classic game in December of 2014 for our Grizzlies history moment. And now... <laughs> We're moving on to a new segment, which we're all pretty excited about. Uh, we don't know what the segment's going to be called, but I think in the future it'd be fun to do uh, sort of a snake draft of a certain category um, where we all get to to pick. Um, we all get to draft certain certain players, certain moments, certain things like that. Um, and tonight we're going to kick off this segment, which you can help name. We haven't thought of a name yet. But we're going to do our least favorite Grizzlies players of all time. <laughs> so we're going to go in order. We're going to do two rounds. So whoever starts is going to have the first pick and the last pick. We're going to snake around. Uh, Ty has uh, Ty has volunteered to go last, yeah. which means that Brantley and I we have to do a uh, a bad podcasting rock paper scissors game, 
uh, to figure out who's going to go first. So I guess whoever wins gets to pick where they go in the order. Yeah. You ready? Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. And Brantley wins. Rock versus scissors. Brantley, where you want to go? Um, man, there are a lot of really great options with this first round pick. Um, but I'm going Andrew Harrison. Oh, you were my first. <laughs> I feel I like, oh my gosh, oh, get that out of here. He was my number here. one. Uh, I cannot believe you just said Andrew Like, there's no one that epitomizes the Chris Wallace era as well as Hashim Thabit as, than Andrew Harrison. Like, forcing this super slow, can't-shoot-threes point guard into the lineup, holding on to seeing if he would, quote-unquote, turn into something because he played for Calipari at Kentucky. Oh, he was it just, maddening. He was... I, I mean, it. It he was so bad. He was, yeah. He looks so sad. The, the sad man <laughs> syndrome, which is uh, Jaron has actually needs to snap out of a little yes. bit. Um, I was actually trying to figure out the comp. That's what it'll be. I'm going to tell Jaron he's acting like Andrew Harrison. Oh, that'll, that'll shape him up. <laughs> yeah. So, Andrew Harrison, first round pick. Gosh. Get man. that shit out of here. I, I can't was, handle that guy. I was ready to go with that pick. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad I won the paper rock scissors because <laughs> I'm so glad he's on my team. Sweet, the Andrew Harrison sweepstakes. <laughs> um, okay, my number two pick. It's still haunting the Grizzlies. Jeff Green. Jeff. Uh, I think this is one we probably all had on our on our lists. Um, Jeff Green. We traded a first round pick to Boston to get him. Uh, he uh, was. <laughs> So disappointing. Uh, so disappointing. And we still haven't conveyed that freaking pick. Wow. Uh, so we're still in, living in the uh, nightmare of Jeff Green. But he was. Just, he came. He came off the bench. He started a lot of games too. But he would just come in, and he was just. He's always been this guy where you expect he's got the perfect body type. He seems to be the perfect player for this modern era. And he can, just couldn't hit a shot. Oh my gosh. His energy level <laughs> was always zero. He was terrible. He had another sad face. He was a sad face. Uh, and the only thing that kept him in the league was he had one dunk like every two months that just went off on yeah. Twitter. And that's it. And he, he hit like one three for LeBron to help them clinch one game right. in the playoff series. Yeah. And one, that's what everyone still talks about. Yeah, they Man, still talk about that game seven yeah. in Cleveland. He really yeah. And actually, the the reason we thought of this category was because he has recently been cut from the Jazz after they, again, another team with high hopes for Jeff Green. <laughs> and they did the smart thing and just went ahead and cut him. Succeeded, dude. All right, Ty. I kind of have a confession about the Jeff Green thing, though. Don't. When the trade happened, I was all for it. Of course. I mean, who is it? I Would couldn't have your... been more excited. It's not on record, you know, so it's oh, no, no yeah, worries. Yeah. Right. Jeez. I just remember now you're gonna thinking have to when that we made down. the trade that if I could have anyone in the league to join our team, realistically, obviously, it'd be him. Gosh. My heart was broken. I still can't get over it. All right, Ty, it's your turn. Okay, you so got two, mine, by the way. Uh, okay, I got two. Um yeah, honorable mention is Nick Calathis. I don't think he's on my list, but I just really didn't like Nick Calathis. He just didn't really do much for me. And we were in a spot where we were really good and had like a really good chance to do some really big things, and he was our backup point guard. Oh, it was brutal. Okay, so my first one um, is OJ, OJ mm. Mayo. So maybe a little bit of a hot take because he did do some good stuff for us too. But if you look at OJ's career coming out, so we did a – a draft day trade with him. Um, Kevin Love was involved in that, which really hurts looking <laughs> back on it. Really, really hurts. Um, Kevin Love could have been – oh, man, he could have – never mind. Uh, 
So OJ, this is the way I, I kind of put it. We talked about this before the pod too. That's basically if like Jaron leaves our team in like two or three years from now after actually not doing anything that he's doing right now. But it's basically like that high of a pick, that high of, of potential. Like, yeah, potential. Yeah. We thought like he was the guy. And he left our team within a few years. Now he's completely out of the league. And that's another thing where we like – that's when everything started, right? Like he was our backup point guard. I don't know. That's probably part of it. We made him play backup point Lionel guard. Lionel was yeah, making Lionel him Lionel was making him do a lot of stuff. But at that time, like of the Grizzlies, we like had some things in motion and like we were like on the rise and you could see it. And if he could have just been that like starting two guard – Ah, uh, it would have helped. It would have helped so much. It's a um, good pick. Okay, so my next one, I'm snaking it. Uh, this one is really close to the, to the heart. Um, speaking of high hopes, my I thought this guy was gonna just change everything, <laughs> and I've never been so upset in my life. It's uh, your Lululemon sponsor. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Wondering if he was going to fall to me. Wow. Chandler Parsons. I'm so – Ty, this is a big moment for you. It is. So, when the Slack first started <laughs> a few years ago, this is like – he had just gotten back from this, like, overseas knee procedure that Aaron Gordon did. And it's Aaron Gordon looks amazing right he after does, that. He does, yeah. Like my knee, I have new knees. So, Chandler – you know, that's like that could be a little conspiracy theory. I did, I bet he never went. I bet he never had this procedure. <laughs> I bet he just lied the or whole he time. Did. He Dude, slide into his DMs gone. one day and ask him. Gosh, yeah. yeah. I know you've got that that'd Instagram. Be, I don't, but that'd be a scary place to be, his DMs probably. <laughs> um <laughs> But the hope that he gave us. He was another guy. That was one of those just like the weird off seasons where the cap went up and everyone's just spending so much money. But again, like at the time, obviously Dallas knew that he was really hurt. But if you could find me one guy to put next to our starting roster, it would have been a guy just like him. Of course, back to the Jeff Green thing. In theory, he was, like, ideal. And I remember when he was coming in, Fizz was like, I'm going to use him like LeBron. Fizz should have got fired as soon as he made that statement because that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. It's true. (laughs) But, of course, we keep him. We try to play him as much as we can. We try to start him for a while. And then everyone was like, yeah, this thing's over. He comes back. I don't. It was an October game against Houston, and the dude just goes nuts. Like he couldn't couldn't miss. He was eight of eleven, I think, just from three that game or something. And of course, I'm just like, this is it. It's starting. It's it's finally happening. And then he like broke all of his knees all over again. It's just yeah. I was at. The, I've never been so sad. I was at the opener that Man. he he played in, and yeah. he just was so bad. But that's also a great what if that maybe we should table for later. Is what if he chooses Portland over us. Portland likely still has the same success because they have a shitty contract still. They had Evan Turner. And they and they're still they fine. Did. In that offseason, yeah. And but but Which it killed the bit. grit and grind. Killed like it. that contract may, killed is it. what started us having to diversify and get rid of everything. Couldn't do anything. We couldn't do anything. Nope. So I will uh, knee soreness <laughs> will never mean the same to me. No. It's like triggered. Can you imagine him and like Zebo, like what they might have talked about? <laughs> no. Did they talk? Exactly. That's no. the problem. No, that's they didn't the talk. Problem. Gosh, that's you know, that was a great pick. Oh, I was, it, just, it had to be there. Uh I think for my uh second and final pick, um, it would be Hashim Thabit. Um 
and it was never about what he did. It was everything about what he didn't do. Uh, this is another OJ-esque pick, but it's much worse. It is. Um, it was probably, it's the worst. I think Chandler Parsons honestly takes a back seat to Hashim Thabit in, 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 no, in Chris Wallace's resume of like worst moves. Um, cause the beat, I mean, you had, I mean, that draft was unbelievably loaded. James Harden goes the next pick. Steph Curry is a little bit later. Um, just, I mean, it just represents a time in, in, in Gris history that it should never so be sad. Uh, repeated and must not be known. So, uh, yeah, Hashim Thabit's my pick. Well, Last you pick? You sort of spoiled it, and I don't know why you had to do, like, a Grizz history that, like, talked about Courtney Lee, like, hitting a big-time See, three. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, like, I, like I hate <laughs> watching Courtney this Lee play. I, don't I can't – I can't – I felt like he disappeared in big moments. He so, like – I don't know what about no, that no, one no. game. No, no, no. If you look about. at if you look at his averages during the season, he looked like a pretty solid, you know, fourth option. Um, he, I think, he averaged like twelve to thirteen points a game with us. He, he's like actually top twenty five in total minutes as a Grizzly. What? Yeah, he he's know. got a lot of minutes. He logged. He was with he, us for he was a long our time. Two guard for two or three years. Right? Three and years. and there be three a lot years. of times in the regular season where you're like, dude, he's taking big shots and he's hitting them. But when it came time to the playoffs, the dude folded. I mean, it was like James Harden all – I mean, you know, with not being the primary scorer. And um, I don't know. There would be some games where you look up and he, like, didn't even attempt a three as a two guard. So, I just couldn't handle That's it. True. And he would hold on to the ball. I just – he just was a personal vendetta. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I chose him over Sam Young. I chose him over Sam Deontay Young. Davis. Oh, I chose him over Garrett Sam Temple. Yeah. I could Garrett Temple with us was terrible. Yeah, was Ryan terrible. Hollins. I mean, those are guys – I mean, Pretty I cool. just – Yeah. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> I couldn't stand Courtney Lee that much, so. Did Haddadi get an honorable mention? Oh, I love, love Man, Haddadi. fan favorite, Hamed yeah. Haddadi? Don't bring that in here. He's amazing. Third string center, baby. Yeah. yeah. Everybody, every team nervous, needs one. That's so. right. Give you that. Man, that's great. Uh, I had a couple honorable mentions, and it doesn't – these are ones that are incredibly circumstantial, but like Rudy Gay and Pau Gasol to me. I was going to ask about Rudy. They were they were awesome while they were here. Yeah. Like they're on the top ten lists of, of Grizzlies in all basically every stat category. But again, they to me like overstayed their welcome. Uh, Rudy was the the symbol of uh, what was keep holding us back mm-hmm. from from really realizing the potential. And I think as soon as he left. You we saw what we Western did. Finals. We went to the yeah. Western with Finals Tayshon Prince. with Tayshawn Prince. He was 38. Probably. So <laughs> it was really frustrating in that respect um, to have him on. And then Powell was the same thing. Um, I think people were just getting sick of him being our number one option and we're ready for something new. So those are my honorable mentions. Yeah. Those are good. Wow. So, again, just a quick review of the snake. We went Andrew Harrison, Jeff Green, OJ Mayo, Chandler Parsons, Hashim Thabit, and Courtney Lee. What a list. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're also taking suggestions on, uh, on other things we can snake, um, and names of the segment as well. Um, so as we wrap up, we wanted to try to keep this, uh, keep this under an hour if we can for our, our listeners. Um, but we're getting to our final segment, hammer, nail, coffin. Um, let's hit on one thing that each of us want to see, uh, wants to see moving forward. I'll go first. Um, We've already talked about it a little bit, but I think just one of the things that I've been just keeping a close eye on over the past couple of games is just um, Grayson Allen. And I think that 
you know, it's fun to sort of look back at those trades and evaluate how we did and, and how we're looking. And he's sort of been that one piece that I think we've been unsure about. Um, really, what did we get in this and how does he sort of fit? Because he has another couple of years left on his um, deal with us and, um, you know, sort of thinking about how he can play and, and what that impacts in the offseason. And so, I don't know. I do think that he just has got this um, level of maybe – uh, Grizz try hearted hardness in him. You know what I mean? Like kind of yeah. like that old school grit component that just yeah, fits with our franchise um, mentality. And if he can find a way to shoot threes confidently on the catch and shoot, he's going to have a role. Um, I think and be able to be found um, a lot of times with um, penetration um, from John Morant yeah. um, and Jaron. And I feel like that's sort of starting to happen. He looks really confident um, so maybe some of those injuries were holding him back more than we could really know. So, and I've really enjoyed seeing him. I mean, he put up 15 against Charlotte and like I said, he put 13 up against Sacramento, um, in a win. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him, um, continue to get minutes and, and hopefully, um, you know, shine a little bit more in, in the rotation. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go next. I think my biggest takeaway, and this is, this is coming off of a game, uh, last night where this guy didn't have a point until the second half, and Jaron, it's Jaron to me. We have to make Jaron a priority in these games. He, there's no excuse um, for him to to not have the first or second most shot attempts on our team um, behind maybe Jonas and uh, Ja. I think that if we – we've talked about in, in the, the last pod how Kyle is like the one guy who consistently looks for Jaron on offense. I think that needs to change – uh, I don't know if it's something that Taylor Jenkins needs to stress more. Mm. I don't know if it's something that um, Jaron needs to just step up and be the, the, a voice and, and demand the ball like Zebo used to do back in the day. Um, but there's no excuse for him not to be um, one of our top two guys right now on this team, and he needs to get in that more aggressive mode um, and get to the line uh, a lot he more than he is. To the line, I feel like. mm-hmm. Yeah, which I mean, it's great. I love the I love the three point efficiency right now. He I want him to keep taking them, but you got to be more aggressive. Um, and you got to. He ended up with like a very very mild stat line last night because he he got hot in like the third quarter. Yep. Um, but there's no excuse for him to have zero points through two quarters in any game he's going to play for us. Yeah, so he ended 14 points, 12 rebounds, two blocks. I, I missed the first half. What? So what was sort of – like who was scoring for us in the first half? It was it was sort of by committee. There was Jonas was having a great game. Um, Tyus we had, played well in the first. Tyus played well in the first. BC came in and played really BC well. BC had 18. Yeah, we just yeah. – it w- it felt like a very Breaks balanced approach. Yeah, yep. but and, and it really was mitigated. And Dylan scored. You wouldn't know um, because we were winning by like 10 or 11 throughout the first half. Yep. You wouldn't – you don't realize until you look up at the box score that he has zero points. But it's just like, you know, I'm, I'm glad – that's why we, we spent a lot of time talking about sort of the, the, the role players on this team at the beginning of the yeah. podcast and well-deserved. Well but – um, he's a guy that just you, – you can't have – if he has another night like that in the next week or so, that's when I'll be a little bit more worried. Um, everybody has an off night, but that's just one thing that I'm, I'm looking to have the Grizzlies prioritize over the next week or two. Yeah, and you could see – so last night, like you said, he didn't do anything, it seemed like, offensively. Um, and there was at one point where I don't know if he's going to be the one to take the initiative to like, hey, let's like, – give me, give me the ball either at the top of the key – 
let me size someone up, take them off the dribble, um, which is interesting because I feel like Jenkins sometimes when he like wants to draw something up for him, he'll draw him up like some way to get a corner three. Yeah. Which yeah. is not a – I mean, I think that's great, but it's just a really interesting way to get him involved. It's like, hey, let's see if we can get you a good look from three. Right. Instead of like, hey, duck in real quick. Because no one's going to – we talked about this last time. No one is throwing him an entrance pass ever. Yeah. Like he seals people, I feel like, all the time. I feel like in the zone, I don't know. I feel like someone get it at the free throw line, him seal, duck down, there it is. Um, BC did it a few times, got it kind of threw him like a few lobs. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think he needs – I don't know. He's. I mean, I guess he's. He's still pretty passive, but I feel like Jenkins needs to take the initiative and know his personnel, right? Right. Um, and be like, okay, we're gonna get you a shot or get you a look or let you touch the ball at least. Um, and he's he's tall enough and he's long enough to have sort of the baby hook that that Jonas does so well. Yeah. Even if that's one of the very first three plays you run down for him, just to get him involved, get him a shot attempt, and then you can run your you're switching at the top of the key type stuff to get yep. a mismatch on him if he wants to drive. That's great. Uh, I just he it it doesn't it doesn't feel like he's been a go-to guy For in sure. one of our offenses since he's come into the league. Yeah. So I'm just I'm ready to see it. He needs a little bit more Dylan in him. And yeah, Dylan and if you, needs a little bit of less less of Dylan. It will be interesting. Maybe it's an interesting thing to even watch with him just how he's performing on back on second half of back-to-backs. So this is really as I'm looking at it, this was an interesting point that Kevin Garnett actually made on the Simmons podcast about how much he felt like he was better on the back half of back-to-backs just because you're warmed up, your shot was looking good, you were feeling good. We all know that KG sort of mentored Jaron a little bit. And if you look this year, actually, at second half of back-to-backs, those have been some of Jaron's best games. Um, against Indianapolis, he put up 31 on the second half of a back-to-back. Um, on the 14th against Washington, he you know put up 16, but was plus seven. Had a really good stat sheet across the board. Um, the 21st, he had 24. So this is kind of one of the first games where he and Job ja both on a back-to-back were looking really down. That Denver trip is is rough. Um, I'm with you on it's that though. Yeah. Uh, to go from Denver guarding Jokic coming into Charlotte um, or coming to Memphis and playing Charlotte, which is kind of like, man, whatever. Yeah. They're kind of yeah. terrible. But So this is the funny thing. So we've kind of been like, man, Jaron, like we're kind of disappointed in his play, right? So his last 10 games, this is per game, he's 29 minutes, 20 points, 50% field goal percentage, 43% from three on eight attempts. And we're like, oh, he needs to do more. Yeah. It's That's a, insane. It's like a great problem to have, you can say. It's an unbelievable problem to have. And I feel like on defense, I don't know, I feel like he hadn't fouled out in a while because Jenkins kind of has a tight hook. But he's also averaging three fouls or three and a half fouls. Which is um, down. In his last 10, which is down by like almost from four two I think. foul yeah. a game. And what yeah. is he – you're saying he's averaging 24 a game right now? No, his this is per game stat. He's averaging yeah. 20 points, 50% from the field goal. Um, and then his three-point percentage, he's averaging 43%. From three on eight attempts. Do you have how many free throw attempts he has on that? Uh, three and a half a game, shooting sixty. That's really that feels low. Yeah, sixty-seven percent. So, so that's maybe the the difference in him going from twenty to like maybe averaging twenty-four to twenty-five a game is sure. like having him being fed the ball on those seals, getting yeah. more, um, you know, uh, free throw attempts, driving the yeah. ball in. I mean, I think he's feeling Especially great. Way to get on those threes. He, yeah. But he also leads our team in free throw attempts. Which is at three, two yeah. and a half per game. Three and a half a game. He leads. Hey, we were seventeen for seventeen yesterday, actually, from free throws. Yeah, we were. I feel like we don't. Yeah, I don't know if we get to yeah. the line as much as we should. 
Um, okay, I'll throw something out really quick. So something I'm kind of looking into uh, as we continue on is Jenkins' closing lineups. Hmm. Um, so last night he threw like an all-rookie line. It wasn't all-rookies, but all like young guys lineup out there. Um, and I want to see a lot more of that closing games, whether it's a tight game and we lose, who cares, right? Um, so I really want to see John Melton and Jaron and BC play together. I don't even care who the fifth is, preferably not Dylan. Um, but even Jay, just stand in the corner, play hard defense, hit an open three. The veteran presence. Absolutely, the veteran presence. Um, <laughs> but I just really want to see those four play together. Um Cause yeah, I just, I mean, I just, I really want to see it. I really want to see it. Throw Grayson in there with that five. Why not? Yeah. I do feel like when I, I put this on our little private channel um, after we had the podcast that Monday went to the Miami game, and I felt like all I did was watch BC, Ja, uh, and Jaron um, the whole game in a lineup together. It was really sweet. Yes, they played a lot. Yeah, that it was. Game. It, it was, was really Jones, weird. They listened to us. Yeah, Taylor Jenkins, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so. Uh, we are. It's funny because we this never really uh, came up, which I'm sure we'll talk about it more as we get later on to the season. The Grizzlies right now, sitting at 13 and 21, are only a game and a half back of the eight seed. Uh, a game and a half. A game and a half. Portland has the eight seed at 14 and 19. So that's uh, We're not conveying. The West is a down We're year. Losing our pick for sure. Yeah, but there are um, so many bad teams, a lot worse than us. We just have to face it. We just have to throw everything we have at Brandon Ingram. Teaser for next That's a podcast. Great tease. That's a great tease for the next podcast. For Ty and Brantley, I'm Will. Thanks for joining the second episode of the Grizz Den Pod. We'll see y'all back soon.